Welcome back to Following No Anonymous from Light Podcast. This week is episode 90. And if you're watching this on YouTube, which about half of you are, you will notice we have a new overlay behind us um, to view. We have commissioned new art from Joe Stiller. He did our original art piece that we we did a couple years ago, almost exactly two years ago now, actually. And he has done another one for us. We don't have a name for this one yet. So if you guys want to suggest a name for this art piece, it's supposed to be Thalen City, about to be under siege from a couple chapters ago. So we've been enjoying seeing how, what he did with our recommendations and been looking forward to working with him again. And we finally got to do so. So, Paul, how are you? I am great. We have finally come to the end of Oathbringer, and I'm excited to talk about it. Excited to dive in. Elliot? After after getting to the end of this book, I am exhausted, but a good exhausted. Like, man, we made it. Wonderful to hear. Uh, two words. I guess we can just go right into that. Two words for you, Paul. Uh, my two words are respite i think that's how you say it respite or respite one of those um and norms respite and norms elliot mine are confrontation and whew <laughs> how, do you, <laughs> how do you spell that oh it's definitely p-h-e-w probably a few w's on there okay Let's use these four words and talk about it from here. That's the last time I'm going to say that. We don't have to do two more words for next week, and we're not going to be talking about Oathbringer after that, so... Paul, who's on our mug? Our mug this week. Um, so first, I'm actually going to show the other side of the mug because there's a fun little joke on there. And with the name, you can't see all of it. So what we have here is a little Stormtrooper mug, and it says um, the exp <laughs> expressions of a Stormtrooper. And we have angry, happy, sad, and confused. Or, sorry, excited. Confused. You're right. Oh, it is confused. Oh, on this side we have different ones. We have. Oh, I didn't even realize. So our person of the week uh, of the mug this week. I can't speak. Uh, is spun lines. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you. Um, spun lines. Yeah. Uh, I believe. Uh, the support level is surgeon. I could be wrong this time. You're correct. I'm, oh, I knew I was right. I knew I was right. Actually. Um, so we have another surgeon on our hands, and we really appreciate it. I didn't Thank actually you. know until just now. There are more emotions. Sleepy, cheerful, frustrated, and excited. So, all the Stormtrooper emotions right there. So, we appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alright, let's start with Elliot. Do you want to talk about your two words, what they mean? I kind of already talked about... Phew! I have... Exhausted, but 
you know, it's kind of that feeling you get when you, when you cross the finish line of a race, you're, you're tired, you're worn out, but you're so glad that you did it. <clears throat> and that's kind of where I'm at with, with this sport. The, the end of this book, the pacing was just so insane through the last like 150 pages, maybe even 200 pages here. So I'm, I'm a little mentally worn out, but in a, in a good way, in all the, all the good ways. And then I picked confrontation because it's actually referenced in one of the chapters we're about to talk about. And we have a couple different confrontations. We have Adolin and Shalon kind of have a little, you might call it a confrontation where they resolve some things. And then we have a big confrontation between Odium and Teravangian, which got all the gears spinning in my head. That was an interesting scene. So yeah, confrontation. Sounds good. Paul? Uh, so my first word is respite. I'm just going to say that how it is. I don't know if that's correct or not, but um, respite, um, it, it refers to a short period of rest or relief. Um, and I feel like we are entering at the end of this book. I feel like we're kind of entering into a kind of a moment of peace and quiet because there's been a lot of craziness where Odi or Dalinar confronted Odium and kind of drove him away, at least for a little bit. Um, and so we're going to kind of hopefully recuperate from, from all of this. Um, so that, that was my main reason for picking that word. The other is norms. Uh, we've seen ever since The Way of Kings, we've known certain rules of society on Roshar. Uh, like, men don't read or write. They don't know how. It's not, it's not, they're not supposed to learn how, or, like, it's just part of the culture there, as far as I know. Yep. Um, and here we see Dalinar learn to read and write. Um, and that was just, like, a really, you know, going against the grain and not caring about it uh, move. And so, definitely breaking some, some norms. At the beginning of Oathbringer, I think it's in part one, we get epigraphs from Oathbringer, but we, there's no author associated to it. And I asked you guys who you thought the author of Oathbringer was going to be from the faces you get both are giving me. You guys don't remember this, but I asked you guys who you thought the author of Oathbringer would be. And Elliot, you said, it sounds like it could be either Yasna or Dalinar. That was your two... That was your two guesses. And it says, it referred to being between realms. And that's what, that's what you were referencing was like, okay, that sounds like Yasna being in, being in Shadesmar is what you said. So you were close with one of your, your, you were correct with one of your predictions, but Yasna did not, did not write it. What did you guys think yeah. of that reveal at the end that Dalinar was the author? I think Yasna was kind of an accomplice, right? Or isn't Yasna the one who helps to teach Dalinar? Or Navani. Okay, okay. I was wrong. That's okay. I I thought that reveal was pretty cool. I thought that was unexpected, but expected in the the same way. It was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And it, it's so funny. I don't remember that the beginning of 
this book. Like there's so many things as I was going back through my notes, even to prepare for our, our upcoming end of the, the book review. There's so many things I came across as like, so much has happened at through this book that I don't even remember some of this stuff from the beginning, but no, I, I liked that touch. And, and the close out of this book was, was fantastic. Like ending it with Dalinar, you know, putting pen to paper and, and starting the writing of, of Oathbringer was super cool. I, I agree. We'll talk about it more in a little bit, but I agree. Jumping into 121. This isn't the first scene that we see Moash. It's actually the second one, but I just want to talk about both, them both. Moash is in Kolinar, and he's doing manual labor in, in Kolinar under the supervision of the Fused. He's being treated basically as a slave, but he has a little bit more freedom than that. They're not super oppressive for him, but they're giving him you know, manual labor work. And they ask him, you killed a king. Would you do the same to a god? And then the scene closes and then it opens back up with a reveal that could have... Could anyone guess this? Approaching approaching this, this is the craziest twist to the end of a book like ever. Did either of you see this coming at all? No, and it happens so fast. It's just like, okay, he's going to kill someone. Oh, he does kill someone, and thus passed Yezrian, king of heralds. Is like, what? Like, hold on, back up a second, read that again. I do. What? I do want to read it. Go ahead, Paul, if you want to say something while I flip to it. I, I have several things to say. For one, it's it's crazy to me to see like one of our heralds die, and in my head, it's like it's just Moash, like it's just some dude. I uh, you know like I don't know how you pull pull this off, but I guess I guess he did. I also have to say like Moash is by far the worst. Like he. <laughs> Like who who even is Odium? I don't even care who that is. Is he a villain? I don't know. I just hate Moash. Like I don't even like uh if we're gonna play the my, my favorite game of who's the actual villain here, it's definitely not Odium compared to Moash, because he's the worst, but you got... for legal purposes that was a joke. Odium is the worst, but Moash is killing all my favorite people. Or up upcoming favorite people. Elokar was growing and Yezrian's like a the stuff of legends is all but we didn't actually know him i will talk about the mechanics of exactly how and i'm sure you guys have questions on what exactly is happening here but i want to read i want to read this scene and then read another scene and get draw some parallels for you guys moash's target was a particular man who sat giggling in the darkness near the back of the gardens a madman with eye collar lost to the night have you seen me? The man asked as Moash knelt. No, Moash said, then rammed the strange golden knife into the man's stomach. The man took it with a quiet grunt, smiled a silly smile, then closed his eyes. Were you really one of them? Moash asked, herald of the Almighty. Was, was, was. The man started to tremble violently, his eyes opening wide. No, what is this death? What is this death? It's taking me. The man screamed, then looked down at the knife in Moash's hands. What is that? The man trembled for a moment more, then jerked once, going motionless. When Moash pulled the yellow knife free, it trailed 
dark smoke and left a blackened wound. The large sapphire at the pommel took on a subdued glow. These broken slaves were the only one other were the only other witnesses to this moment. The final death of Yezrian, Yezir, Yezeriza Elin, King of Heralds, a figure known in myth and lore as the greatest human who had ever lived. Go ahead. I never actually thought that I would be so upset at the death of someone who I haven't actually met yet. Like, we haven't heard a, a peep. Not one peep from Yezrian, really. Uh, we, we see a lot of illusions, and we know he's in the pro prelude, all that stuff. And Trevor's going to be like, actually, he's been in our story the whole time, or something like that. I want to read uh, another quote from The Way of Kings. Oh, no. Zeth left the feasting chamber behind. Just outside, he passed the door into the beggar's feast. It was an Alethi tradition, a room where some of the poorest men and women in the city were given a feast complimenting that of the king and his guests. A man with a long gray and black beard slumped in the doorway, smiling foolishly. Though whether from wine or weak mind, Zeth could not tell. Have you seen me? The man asked with a slurred speech. He laughed, then began to speak in gibberish, reaching for a wineskin. So it was the drink after all. Interesting. And one more quote. <clears throat> this is a Dalinar flashback chapter in Oathbringer. Ehu was an odd one, even for a crazy beggar. With black, matted hair and a scraggly beard, his skin was dark for an Alethi. His clothing were mere scraps. He smelled worse than the compost. Somehow, he always had a bottle with him. Ehu giggled at Dalinar. Have you seen me? Unfortunately, Dalinar settled on the ground. I've smelled you too. What are you drinking today? It had better not be water this time. Ehu wagged a stout bottle, stout dark bottle. Don't know what this is, little child. Tastes good, though. I like you, Ehu said to Dalinar. I like the pain in your eyes. Friendly pain. Companionable pain. Thanks. Which one got to you, little child? The black fisher? The spawning mother? The faceless? Moalak is close. I can hear his wheezing, his scratching, his scraping at times, like a rat breaking through walls. I have no idea what you're talking about. Madness, Ehu said. I used to think that it, was, it wasn't my fault. But you know, we can't escape what we did. We let them in. We attracted them. We befriended them. Took them out to dance and courted them. It is our fault. You open yourself to it, and you pay the price. They ripped my brain out and made it dance. And I watched. Well, that's who Ehu was. Yeah. Do you remember when we oh read that, Paul? Gosh. You asked you asked the podcast, I can't tell if this guy is super important or just a crazy guy. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Oh. This one hurt. This one hurts me. Okay. I would like for everyone to just walk a couple feet in my shoes. So, here I am, a little naive reader of Brandon Sanderson's story here. And we're confronted in a flashback chapter 
with this, like, we don't really know how him and Dalinar know each other, right? Like, they just kind of go and hang out, because they like drinking a lot, I guess. And he's he just kind of rambles. Like, what am I supposed to do? Be like, oh, that's Yazeriza Elin, Her- King of Heralds, like... Right. <laughs> the the Windrunner Herald, and then... And he's dead. He's just gone. But and like the what hurts is my first question was like, oh, like the heralds die like all the time, and they're okay, you know, like they just come back. But I'm guessing this golden knife, which seems to be Odium's color scheme, um, is some kind of special one that, like, he's gone, gone forever, and we're not going to see him again, and that makes me a little sad. I'm I'm with you, Paul. This one hurts more than it seems like it should. But I think it's of all the heralds, I think Yezrian was the one I was looking forward to meeting the most. He was the one, you know, wind windrunner herald. He gets talked about a whole bunch. He's supposed to be, you know, king of the heralds. I was like, okay, we know he's gonna be slightly crazy, but I at least wanna, you know, who was this guy? What's he like? And now he's gone in the blink of a of an eye. Do you, do you guys remember during an Dalinar vision, he sees Yezrian at the final battle and he thinks to himself, that guy kind of looks familiar. Oh, yeah. It's because he went drinking with him multiple times. I'm I'm also with you, Paul, on what you said earlier about Moash. For some reason... And I think I think I know why this knocks Moash up a notch on my most hated scale. And I think it's just because his previous kind of stuff that he's done at least had some like thought behind it. You know, he, he at least can understand what Moash is thinking. But this one is just like the fused hand him a knife and say that one, go kill that one. Moash is like, oh, OK, knife him. Like that takes a level of like callousness and just like not caring that just, yeah, does not sit well with me. It's, it's even worse than that actually, because the, I couldn't, I actually don't know if it's worse, if he, if it's, if he thinks it's just a random beggar, but he knows it's Yezrian. He's been told because he asks him, are you actually Yezrian as he's killing him? So what what are you doing? Like why are you doing this? That's why he's really up there on my list because his motivation for things is just fully out of like spite or vengeance as far as I know. Um we saw that like showcase in Words of Radiance and before, right? That you know, he his initial like him being upset with Elokar made sense, right? Like, I, right. I could give him a benefit of the doubt of at least, like, his family and him, like, they were, like, mistreated, whatever. He has at least a reason to be upset. Whether he should have acted on that, I don't think he should have in the way he did, but he did, and we're like, oh, you know, Moash has a bad, rotten attitude, you know, but maybe he'll be done with that. But now he's fully embraced this 
hired knife in the dark thing and it's it's like zef with no remorse at all it is is almost what i'm thinking of it like zef without the redeeming the like string of hope that like oh he's being controlled like whatever that we kind of had for zef um this is just evil and And it brings up it brings up some interesting questions about the logistics of all this, actually. Because my first question on this is why are the fuse making Moash do their dirty work? They hand him this very special knife, which I had some ideas about about, and I bet you did too, Paul. That but why why can the fused not just do this? They've got this special herald permakill knife. Why don't they just do it? Why does it have to be Moash? That is a good point I never thought of. They clearly know who he is, where he is. They have the weapon to kill him, which may or may not be a Dawn shard. And then they say, oh, we can't do this, but Moash, you do it. And even, there's even a bit in it that says like they're like hanging back. They're like hiding, watching like, oh, is he going to do it? Is it going to work? Is it going to happen? What, why, why? My only thought with it was like, you know, if he like fused walked into the room, that's very different from like a a man walking into the room, like a normal human man, I guess. So just like stealth, um, you're thinking basically? Potentially, or like to not like raise an alarm. Like, or, yeah. I mean, Yesrian, I Yesrian might run if he sees a fuse coming for him with a knife as opposed to Moash yeah. walking towards him. If some guy walks up to you, you probably aren't afraid that he has some special dawn shard that's gonna that he's gonna get stabbed with and then eternally die, like actually dying. But I, I'm actually I actually did not think you're going the dawn shard route with that prediction, and I was gonna make a joke and be like, You're right, it's a dawn shard. And then you <laughs> said it and I was like, wait, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I right. we we've been joking about how everything we come across is like, ooh, Dawn Shard, ooh, Dawn Shard, ooh, maybe Dawn Shard, maybe exactly. possibly. That- right now it's the perfect scapegoat that everything we come across that's like, <laughs> ooh, that's important, and it's some trinket or weapon or whatever, we're like, yep. oh my goodness, one of our Dawn Shards. Okay, we'll learn that this is a Dawn Shard later. But but all that being said, I actually, legit, 100% for real, I think this might be a Dawn Shard. Some of the other things that you had some crazy theories about, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) But shard seems to sometimes refer to either powerful objects or weapons that we've seen before. This seems to be that, or a different version of that, which seems to have the ability to kill a herald in a way that they're not normally able to be killed. So again, kind of, how? what is this thing? How does it work? And is it maybe perhaps a Dawn Shard? I have one other comment, and I I don't want to go off too far because it's it's uh, getting into rabbit hole territory. But it says that like afterwards, the there's a sapphire on the hilt, like sapphire gemstone on the hilt that kind of glistens afterward. And I feel like we've seen this draw of these gemstones that can hold an unmade or yeah, other right. things like that. 
we don't know, do we, that heralds have spreads? We know that Nail probably has one because he's a fifth ideal and we're kind of just using logic to assume he has one. Um, but I was wondering, like, is there some way that this knife, like, captures the spren that that Yezrian has? Or something along those lines? That That's where my thoughts went. But I'm curious if you have a prediction on that, Elliot. I was thinking similar. I was thinking, is it capturing, like, a spren that's tied to Yezrian? Or is it somehow, like, flipping the table and actually capturing him somehow? Is it, have we gone from like, you know, we have gemstones we know that can capture spread, even like the most powerful ones out there. Is this like a different kind of stone or something that can somehow like capture a human soul? Maybe. But I, I really don't know. But I, I was thinking along similar lines with you, Paul. That would be quite a twist, which I would not be prepared for. That. I'm really tempted to throw this off into theory territory because I've got a big theory for this, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Maybe we can do it for like thirty seconds. Okay. okay. Shard blades. Let's talk about shard blades for a second. Okay. Shard blades pass through a living object with and leave it intact and sever the soul. Correct. Correct. Fused. take their soul and basically hijack a listener or a singer's body. Correct? Right. What if a shard blade was designed to sever the soul, leaving the body intact so you could reattach the original, the innocent singer, the innocent listener back to its original body and kill the fused in the in the body. What if that was the original design for shard blades? Interesting. I see what you mean now. That's pretty that's pretty smart. Okay. Fabrials. Gemstones that try to mimic surge binding abilities. Okay. With me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if this sword is a fabrial that absorbs the soul like a shard blade. And he's and Yezrin is basically trapped in this pommel now because the, the the gemstone is done and becomes glowing after Moash kills him. Um now the writing is fairly final here. It says the final death, like as if Yezrin's not getting out of that pommel, you know, if he was captured in it like like the unmade, like Nergaul is captured in the the King's Drop or whatever it's called. Th- that seems to imply that, that that could be reversed at some point. Like if he broke the gem, then maybe you could let him out. This this doesn't seem like that, but this is this is my theory that shard blades were designed to leave the host body undamaged and you could reattach the soul to somehow, I don't know, uh, to a body. And this is a mimic of that with via a fabrial because the gemstones are scientifically crafted to mimic stuff like that. What are you guys' thoughts? I've wanted to just lay a full theory out there for so long and I finally <laughs> got to do it. So that's what I did. You said, what are you guys' thoughts? And I had a moment of like, wait, 
I have to tell you what I think about this. Like, I'm supposed to <laughs> formulate a rebuttal. Like, <laughs> I I'm tracking with your logic 100. That makes perfect sense to me. I think the one part of that that I I feel like that may hinge on is everything we've seen so far. Well, the shard blade comparison is interesting, but when I think of Fabrials, when when I think of Fabrial, I immediately think of Spren, capturing a Spren. So if we've now shifted from Fabrials and Gemstones collect Spren to now this, maybe it's a Fabrial, maybe it's not, just collected a human soul, like what are the implications of that? Right. Does that mean that human souls are Spren? Like what are human souls in this universe? Like that's the kind of line of thinking I start to go down with your your logic there. But I'm I'm, I'm totally tracking with your, your thoughts. Yeah, I see what you mean. I'm actually it, the reason I like your thoughts. I don't think Yezrian was like captured himself in a gemstone, right? And honestly, my reasoning for that is kind of meta. It's like I don't, th- I don't think in the end of our story that it will result in like I don't know, Odium or whoever being like captured or imprisoned. I think it's going to go towards like death and like an ending of something. Um and I think that Yezrin here like died. I think their goal is to kill the heralds, not to capture them. Um because if so then if there's no way to kill them, then I'm gonna just assume there's no way to like kill Odium or something like that. Maybe maybe if that's the case, maybe Honor's not actually dead. But uh, I'm actually just going to go from a story standpoint and think that it would make more sense if they were killing and not capturing. But I also think that our blade isn't... Nece- I'm under the impression that it is like... I'm thinking it's some form of like divine, more divine power from Odium and not some crafted thing. But it could be either. I don't really have grounds for that. That's just where my assumption was given the description of it being gold and odium is all gold and orange and stuff. So good stuff. So we talked about Moash. Yes. <laughs> we made it past Moash. We got, you know, 10 more people to talk about. Yeah. I want to talk about Dalinar and Navani for a, a real quick here. Cause we talked about uh, Moa Locke here and um, or Nergal, sorry, um, being trapped in the uh, King's Drop. And she teaches him how to read and write. And uh, we'll come back to this, but he begins to write the in-world Oathbringer. And he names after his sword that... Freed Bridge for, and it did a couple other things too. But um, Adolin is having a conversation with Dalinar in 122, and he gives him the reveal that he killed Sadius. Okay. And I want to talk about this in context of Dalinar because what does Dalinar not say in this conversation? Adolin says, hey, I just killed Sadius. Dalinar has a truth to tell Adolin. What is the 
what is what what is Dalinar not told Adolin yet? That's a good point. We haven't gone down the road of Adolin and, and Renarin understanding what's happened in the past. Dalinar has learned that he killed his wife Evie. Right. But Adolin doesn't know that yet, does he? So when's the com- we have we finished the book and we don't have this conversation yet. Hey boys, need to sit you down. I accidentally killed mom. Whoops. Yeah. Whoops. How's how how is that conversation gonna go? <clears throat> yeah, not well. I, I guess it is different from Adolin telling Dalinar that he killed Sadius, but in my head I was like, it'll be like that. But I don't think that's the same. So, back at before, when we finished Rords for Radiance, you guys had the prediction that Adolin was not going to take the news well. He was going to go down this dark path of everybody is a Radiant. I just killed Sadius. I'm going to spiral. Everybody else, and he he was going to have a problem with this. We didn't really see that. He's been he's been bearing it fairly well. He's taken his spot. He he understands that. He even tries to take a second second seat to Kaladin and say, Shalon, you should go marry Kaladin because he's a windrunner. He can fly. And Shalon, you know, th- they figure all that out, which we'll talk about here in a second. But um, Adolin seems to be taking all this news fairly well. He doesn't seem to be becoming a Knight's Radiant in the traditional sense. We, maybe that's going to happen with Maya um, or something like that. But how does this conversation of hey i accidentally killed mom how do you think that's going to affect things i'm not sure really i did think that that adolin was going to have a a bigger battle than he has so far with his decision to to kill sadius and with everyone else kind of powering up around him and him not but we even talked about it maybe a couple episodes ago. Adolin has kind of now become our our barometer for normal. Like everyone else around him is is kind of crazy, dealing with demons. Are they possessed? Are they not? What's going on? And then you kind of have Adolin, who's staying pretty even keel throughout all of all of this, which is pretty Im- impressive. So I kind of almost want to say that if Dalinar does break the news, that the two of them would, you know, be hurt and have to deal with that. But but maybe take it in stride fairly well. Like that's almost what I feel like those characters would be able to take. But then on the flip side, maybe not. Maybe that is the the pebble that that sinks the boat. Maybe that is the the moment where that throws Adolin off the, the rails. I don't know. It would be difficult, right? But Okay, so coming from where we are right now, we have dealt with some very large, large scale issues and problems that our characters are facing um and i imagine like i said i think we will have a little break here from from that magnitude going into our next story um there may may be some form of like relational social problem here it's just kind of hard for me to imagine that right now because i'm like no odium is about to attack and like zeth is gonna you know like i don't know all this stuff like my brain is still climax fight like minded 
mm-hmm. um, that I can't imagine that being a big problem. Like, Delinar mentions it, and they're like, hold on, like, we have to fight a god right quick. We'll unpack this in a minute, you know. So, um, it, I'm sure it'll come up, but in my head right now, I can't imagine it being that big of a setback, given the magnitude of other things, which is kind of sad, honestly. Um, realistically. I I also think back to that one of those flashback scenes where Dalinar's having like a complete breakdown. I don't remember it too clearly, but maybe he like screams and yells at Adolin and Renarin and they leave, but then Renarin comes back yeah. and like just holds his father like that tender moment. Yeah. I, I could potentially see, you know, another scene like that where Dalinar breaks loose, tells him the truth. They know what he was like back in those times. They know that he was going through some really tough stuff. They might be able to say, like, wow, that's big news, but I remember what you were like, and let let me let me help you, let me support you. We, we could get another one of those scenes, maybe. Shalon chooses Adolin. Our love triangle is done. They get married. Paul, is this what you were hoping for? We no longer have the wishy-washy, oh, I'm Vale, I'm attracted to Kaladin. Oh, I'm Shalon, I'm attracted to Adolin. It's it's done. Yes, I am happy about it. I'm hoping it doesn't cause further conflicts because... Just because technically they get married doesn't mean that they wouldn't have similar problems, I guess. But Sure. And for the purpose of our story, I think it'll end those, and I'm hoping they will live happily ever after. Um, And she'll get her little veiled paws away from our precious Kaladin, so... I'm, I'm kidding, <laughs> that's mean. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, I I I'm totally happy with this. I I'm I'm glad that that they got somewhere. It was it was kind of tense and awkward to read, um, when she's talking with Adolin, and then he like flies by. I don't remember exactly how it happens, but Vale kind of comes out for a second, and like admires Kaladin again. It's just like awkward to to see and stuff, but it's over. I'm also, I'm also pretty happy with the the result there. I I was team Adolin from the beginning, so I'm, you know, woo, good job, Adolin. But I, in in all seriousness, I think Adolin is better for Shalon than Kaladin is. I think Adolin helps soothe the the whole personality disorder thing. Adolin helps ground Shalon in who she is, whereas Kaladin exacerbates it. Kaladin pulls out those other personalities of, of Shalon and, and kind of causes some of that conflict in Shalon. So what, what, where he's maybe the more exciting option, he's also kind of, he feeds the, the problem. He feeds the, the lies that Shalon has to, has to deal with internally. So I hope, I hope Adolin will be good for Shalon. I hope so too. I think they're definitely the right pair. I think Kaladin deserves better, so Aelin can have her. Ooh. Ooh. Ouch. I'm not the only one who said it. That's <laughs> it, I think. 
I was surprised by how quickly they got married, though. Like, right. Maybe this is an Alethi thing, and this is not out of the norm at all. But it was like, oh, okay, we've made a decision, and a week later they're married. Like, whoa, okay. I I thought that was going to be, I thought that was going to be a big deal. I thought in one of these books it was going to spend like months leading up to like the the wedding of Shalon Devar, and that was going to be a a big deal with like all this pomp and circumstance. And there's going to be drama. And she's going to have second thoughts, like right at the end. Oh, no, it happens in like a paragraph. It's like, and they were going to get married. And a week later, they were done. Right. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Shalon is really weird to talk to right after the, like, just from another person's perspective. You, from the reader's perspective, you understand that Vale's answering that question and Radiant's answering that question and Shalon's answering that question. But if you just look at it from, you know, Yasna's perspective, Yasna walks up to her and says, how are you doing? And then Shalon says, oh, I'm tired and I need a drink. Like she says it like in the same breath, basically, when there's two different personas talking and uh, it'd just be really, it'd be really weird to talk to Shalon, to be honest. I, I would it would be it would be a roller coaster of emotions for sure. So to go ahead. I was just gonna continue the the Shalon train a little bit here and mention her brothers that yes. arrive. That that's definitely uh some resolution we've been waiting for a while. If we we knew they were on the way. Marais had, you know, promised to bring them to her and like that was like a whole book ago at this point, like the beginning of this book, maybe. So we, we did revisit that. So that, that was a loose end somewhat closed. That, that is true. We completely dropped the ghost blood, uh, story, yeah. story arc and picked it up in the last paragraph of the last page, basically. But they do come bearing a message that might revive our ghost blood story or a little bit, or, or at least it keeps it going. And that is, the task Shalon has been given from Marais and the Ghost Bloods is to investigate Sha'anat. And the, I believe the task specifically was get Sha'anat to leave Odium and to come work for the Ghost Bloods, which seems like a pretty colossal ask to me. You think so? I thought that, you know, that's just normal. ask. Yeah, just <laughs> if you're polite. You know, be like, hey, like, you know, are you looking for a new job? Has, like, you know, what's the benefits package with ODM? Like, could I talk you into joining my, you know, my my business here, the Ghost Bloods? And I, I know a know. crime boss just down the street. I mean, yeah, he, uh, he's hiring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you would. I would put in a good word for you. You know, I think we could make it work out, you know. Which you guys, would you guys classify as Marais of holding her brothers hostage? Would you say that would be an accurate um, representation of what was happening there, or what? What are you guys' impressions of what was happening? He was one hundred percent using them as leverage, right? But I don't remember like how much of a grip he had on the brothers. Was he just like, if you don't do it, you say like what we have, 
we will kill your brothers, or I don't know if he like had them kidnapped. I don't remember. I I think he's more subtle than that. I think it's he's keeping his options open, right? He he's he's making sure that he can play this any direction he needs to. So I, I don't think he I might be wrong, but I don't recall him specifically saying do this or I'll kill your brothers. But that's the that's the hidden threat. Is, right. I have your brothers. I'm bringing them to you. By the way, here's something you need to do for me. Like he's he's very, you know, clever and that he can always play it off as, oh no, I'm helping you this whole time. Or he can immediately on a dime turn it into, oh really, you don't want to work with me anymore? Well, uh, yeah, I've got your brothers over here. Uh, do you want to rethink that? Like he's he's very, very slippery. I had forgotten she had brothers, and then they were there, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Okay, like you're you're the guy with the crabs. Yes, like, you're the guy with the crab legs the in, your back, off the crab, in your back crabs, pocket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh my goodness! Like, okay, why are you here? I don't know. But what a, what a thing to be known for! Hey, I know you. You're the guy that tortures crabs, right? Like, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you're that kid who you know. Yeah. Anything else for, for Shalon? Happy marriage. Live happily ever after. Never hear from Shalon or Adolin again. All Maybe. right. Kaladin and Bridge 4. Um, Teft, Teft had his moment, and he has another one in this in this chapter, chapter 121. He approaches Kaladin, actually Kaladin approaches Teft, and Teft confides in Kaladin and says, my yearning for the moss is still there. I thought I would overcome it with my words that I've just spoken. I will protect those I hate, even if the one I hate most is myself. He thought that would solve his problem. It didn't. And Lopin, in the next chapter, actually says, yeah, Stormlight heals everything except for that stump on the top of your shoulders, meaning your head like it doesn't it doesn't cure your your mental issues it just cures your physical issues so the ideals is something to live by it doesn't change them fundamentally as a person what were you guys's impressions of this what do you guys think of this i like this sentiment i like this mentality a lot because i think it, it teaches it teaches me a lot teft is kind of looking at this as oh if i achieve this greatness It'll it'll fix who I am, and Kaladin explains to him, which which parallels the Dalinar story, really nicely. That no, the the struggle, the pain, the difficulty, that's part of who you are. You can't just fix that. If you take it away, you're no longer you. That that struggle that Teft has with the Moss is Teft, and Teft just has to he has to figure out how to use that in a positive way or to learn from it to then like leverage off of it of that pain is who I am. I'm going to go on and do greatness, great things anyway. Like that's the Dalinar struggle as well is accepting that I have this pain, accepting that I've done terrible things and doing good anyway. So I thought that was great. And then the bit in this scene that is fantastic, fantastic as well. And I'm going to revisit this at the end of this episode 
Kaladin then also steps in with a, Tef, this is who you are, but you don't have to do it alone. And that was, that was awesome. Where Kaladin says, you know, you've been there for me and I'm going to be there for you. Like that, that is powerful right there. We lift the bridge together, Teft, and yes. we carry it. Lopin swears his second ideal in chapter 121. He in a very Lopin-esque way. Yes, he's explaining the he's explaining the rules of the Knights Radiant to this injured Thalen guy who has lost his arm. And Lopin I think Lopin directly went and sought out this guy because he lost an arm and he can relate to that guy. He's showing him how to tie his shoes with one hand because Lopin's good at that. He's, and then he says, yeah, I've got a bunch of jokes that I can't use anymore, but you might be able to use now because, you know, one arm. And then it, I, I think there's an unspoken thing of like, you don't tell each other what the words are, which is why Lopin says, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before pancakes is the, is his substitute word there. Like you, you got to figure it out for yourself, but I don't know. Lopin's a character. Lopin's certainly a character. And then he says, I will protect those who cannot protect themselves. And, and then it stops. And then there's a bunch of like lightning and thunders as these words are accepted. And then Lopin's like, really? That's what you accept? Not earlier when I was trying to swear it during the battle. Like, Okay, and I and I totally imply my imagination goes places with this. I imagine just like Lopin, just like standing on the like at the top of a cliff. There's no one around, just like screaming these these words over and over at the sky. Like, come on, give me the powers, give me the powers, come on, come on. And then like here he is. He, Lopin doesn't even realize that he has to you know believe it. He has to do it. And so here he is in this moment, actually like caring for someone else, like actually serving them. And then he just kind of says the words offhand and the Stormfather's like, ha, finally, ding. And Lopin's like, ah, dang it. Like, that's that's such a Lopin way to go about that. And then it was some poetic justice, some, well, just some, I think my favorite thing that Brandon Sanderson actually does is how all the characters interact with each other and just exist like so thoroughly and consistently throughout our various scenarios. Uh, I think this is very just consistent. Just like, uh, this sounds about right for Lopin. Like, he's just trying, he's honestly kind of bragging about, like, oh, you know, Night's Radiant, by the way, and stuff. And then he says the second ideal, and it's it's really funny. And then Kaladin, in the meantime, is getting news of Dre and Scar, and then Lopin turns around right after he said the second ideal is like, Hey, did you see? I just, I just swore in the second ideal counts like, yep, yep. Congratulations. You're second in command. Bye. And then flies off. This is the beginning of 122. Kaladin flies to Alethkar and, uh, finds Dre and Scar who have reunited with that ardent guy that they left the span read with in Kolinar, all of them have escaped. They span read to your Thiru or to Thalen city at that point and say, Hey, come pick us up. We're, we're on the outskirts of Alethkar. We've escaped and they have Gavinor. They have, uh, 
Elokar's son, Gavinor. And Dre re reveals to the reader and re reveals to Kaladin that he's already sworn the second ideal, that we protect those who cannot protect themselves. What were you guys' thoughts of this like little side mission happening? It was pretty cool. So m my thought with this was, is Gavinor going to have like significance? Um, because you said there's like kind of a time skip, right? It's like a year and he's mm -hmm. like three years old or something, isn't he? Like yep. a three or child, four, yeah. like a very young child. So I can't imagine there being much significance with the character of Gavinor. Um, I was like, if there was potentially a time skip and we come back and he's like 14, 15 even, um, we could see like a big, like, like a very strong character, like development, like learning about his father and learning about like all the things and stuff like that and being a major player. But I, I don't know. I was a little confused why, why Gavin, I guess, I guess saying this, I guess it's just so. Drahi and Scar have like a very honorable thing to do and have growth and there's the second ideal and stuff like that and they're saving a life, you know. Um I thought this moment was pretty cool and unexpected. I thought that the whole point of that scene was gonna be Elokar didn't make it, Asadan didn't make it, Gavinor didn't make it. But now we have Elokar went out in the, you know, very sacrificial, I guess, way that he did. But now Gavinor is alive to like live on that legacy. And right. so now Elokar's sacrifice ha has a little more meaning now in that Gavinor was actually saved by what Al what Elokar did, which I think that kind of that symbolism or plot line storyline is actually really cool. Yeah. Side note, I think this would be that the implications of this whole scene would make a great video game idea. The prologue is you are it's a, it's a it's a co-op Assassin's Creed game. Okay, player one is Dre, player two is Scar, and the the intro is you're attacking, you're assaulting the Kolinar Palace. And Kaladin and Shallan and Adolin zip off into Shadesmar without you, and that's where it drops you in the game. And you've got Gavinor right in front of you, and you've got to escape Alethkar and escape Kolinar. That's that's the game. And you do this whole like super secret mission across Alethkar and your oh random protecting, idea. Yeah, protecting the child is yep. together, yeah. I'd play. I really want, I, I doubt we'll get this. Maybe we will. I don't know. I would love to have a scene in the future, 10 years from now, like, like you're saying, Paul, a, a 14 or 15 year old Gavinor, maybe a little younger. I would love to have Kaladin sit down and tell Gavinor the story of his father. Yeah. And like, you know, let, let me tell you, son, about what your father did. And like have it that moment where you know how Kaladin originally felt about 
light eyes and how Elokar embodied some of that and how that was such a symbol for Kaladin getting through his third ideal, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then him like getting to kind of pass that on to Gavinor by telling him like that story from start to finish, culminating in like your father died swearing the oaths of the Radiant to save you. Like, oh, that would be a cool scene. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. And that's where my mind went. And then, uh, like, realistically, I think it's more of a, like, highlight for Drahe and Scar. Like, yeah. Kind of in reality. But I also don't know where the line is between are our Bridgman squires, or are they just all Knights Radiant now on their own? Do they have Windspread? I guess I should just expect that everyone is becoming a Windrunner too now, but so for the, I guess I was a little surprised. For the Windrunners, you swear the first ideal and then you're a squire to one of your second or third ideal, or, or more, ideals of Windrunners, and then once you swear your second ideal, that's when you get your, your spread. That's what's been happening for most people except for Kaladin. Kaladin got Sill before he even swore the first one, so... 